0: All right. well good morning church. 2 Kings chapter 18. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and find your place there. 2 Kings 18. If you need a Bible, you can grab the one there in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, take that as our gift to you. And we are continuing this morning through the story. We are walking through God's Word together this year as a church family. Started back in Genesis, way back in January, and now here in August we find ourselves in 2 Kings 18 and 19. Now... Uh, We'll dig into the text here in just a few minutes, but let me just share a couple things with you to set up what we're getting ready to look at this morning. Uh, If you could put one single word on really everything we're talking about this morning from this text we're going to look at, it's a single word, and it's the word trust. Trust. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word trust or what it connotates in in your mind, but we know that an essential non-negotiable, absolutely necessary ingredient in all healthy relationships is trust, right? If we were real honest with each other, we can speak sometimes from experience and Speak maybe even from currently where we're living, whatever the case may be. But you can think of some relationships in your life. Maybe they're work relationships or family relationships. Maybe it's even a marital relationship. Whatever the case is. And you know that in the atmosphere of trust, a relationship can thrive. But man, when there's an absence of trust, that relationship will never be able to thrive or be completely healthy, right? Trust is a big deal. Webster helps us, and Webster defines trust this way. Trust can be defined as as an assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone. We're relying on the character, ability, and strength of someone. One in which confidence can be placed. Now, if you've spent any time in God's Word, especially reading through the story, you will not read very long in this book without coming across the idea or the concept of trust. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in a relationship with the God of heaven, deeply rooted in trust, right? The biblical idea, as we're going to look at it here in the Old Testament, the biblical concept is very close to what Webster said, but it's this idea. It's a confidence in someone. A sense of security or safety that someone can be counted on. Watch this. To do what they said they would do. There's a confidence there. There's a a trust there. Now, let me illustrate this for you really quick. I was thinking back when I was in college and we were, a, we were part of Campus Crusade for Christ. And when I was there, we practiced something with our team, kind of to, as a team-building exercise. We practiced something called a trust fall. Anybody ever done a trust fall or have any idea what I'm talking about? Three of you. Okay, awesome. Let me tell you what it is. So a trust fall is the idea of one poor old soul had to kind of get up on a five- or six-foot platform kind of like this turn around and, and, and face or, or back to everyone, kind of blindfolded, and then a group of people would be down on the ground, and they were to put their arms together like this. And then the person who was up on the platform, our job, and I was the guy, was to put up a, a blindfold over my eyes and then trust the people that were on the ground that when I blindfolded, fell back completely like that, they were going to be able to hold me up. Now, I can remember the first time I did that. I'm, I'm carefully inspecting the reliability of each person, right? That little freshman, uh, f- a female freshman, she needs to get out. Let's get a strong senior guy in here, somebody that's able to hold me up, right? You're very concerned, will these people be able to hold me up when I fall back into their arms? It was called a trust fall. That's a picture of confidence, of trust. We are in a relationship with God that is deeply rooted in this thing we call trust. In fact, if you spend any time in Scripture, you know that this is a reality. This book tells us with crystal clarity that as Jesus followers, the direction of our lives is directly impacted by whom or what we choose to trust in most. Let me give you a couple of verses that support this before we even go into 2 Kings. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Go ahead and put that up on the screen. You know this. Many of you have this memorized. Trust in the Lord. A little bit. <laughs> no. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean, do not rely upon, do not put much confidence in what? Your own understanding. Here's the reality for you and me this morning. We tend or we will drift to put a whole lot of confidence in our best understanding and our best thinking. And it usually leads us astray, right? Any testimonies about that? Yeah. The Bible is constantly encouraging us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart in all of our ways to acknowledge Him and He will direct our paths. In other words, the very direction of our lives is impacted in shape by whether or not we are relying fully on the Lord or is Mike trusting in Mike's best understanding this morning, what we're going to look at in 2 Kings is basically a story about trust. It's a story about what happens when the leader of God's people, <clears throat> what happens when God's people do or do not choose to fully and wholly rely and trust in God. Now, as we look at this story, let me just ask you this question this morning. and I've been wrestling with this question all week, and it's a question we wrestle with continually Here it is, will what or whom you are currently trusting in be able to carry you through the trials and the fires and the storms of life? Will that person right now or that relationship maybe or that job prospect or whatever you fill in the blank with all good things but cannot be the ultimate source or the place that you put ultimate trust and confidence in. Will whatever you are trusting in most right now, and let God bring that to your mind, whatever that is, will that person or that thing be able to carry you through the storms and the fires of life, because that's reality, people of God here had no real idea; they had some clue, but not quite what was coming their way. Hezekiah is now the new king of israel or of Judah, the southern kingdom. Contextually, let me give you the context of what's going on real quick. We've been reading over the last couple months that the nation of Israel had a civil war, and now there are two nations. Go ahead and put that map. There were two nations now, the nation of Israel to the north, the nation of Judah to the south. We've been reading through that. And then, as you get to 2 Kings, 1 Kings, you know that the new world power is Assyria. Assyria comes in, they're represented by the green, and they completely decimate Israel. Israel. When we get to 2 Kings, where we are this morning, the nation of Israel ceases to exist. They now have been dominated by the nation of Assyria. Judah is left, and here's where Assyria is, knocking on the door of Judah, ready to overthrow them as well. The people of God have begun to trust in everything under the sun rather than God alone. They have propped up all these other things that they think they can trust in. And King Hezekiah is dropped in the middle of this situation. Man, I wouldn't want his job. It's a mess in Judah. And that's where we pick up in Second Kings 18.1. I'll just read a couple of these verses really quick. Verse 1 says, In the third year of Hashiach, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, begins to reign. He was 25 years old when he begins to reign. Imagine that. A 25-year-old being put in this situation in Judah. Now, 2 Kings 18.4 tells us one of the first things that Hezekiah does as the new king of Israel. Let me preface it with this. Hezekiah is called by God to lead God's people. He's the king. Many times as the leader of God's people, or maybe the... Many times when you are even put in the influence of, over others, like as a parent or as a leader in the church or whatever it is, you, you desire good and best for God's people. Hezekiah is going to do something here that, to be really honest, is not going to make everybody happy. Hezekiah kind of looks out over the landscape of the people he's been called to lead and he comes to the conclusion the people of God are putting trust in this thing and this thing and this thing. And watch this. These are not reliable objects of trust. When the heat of life is turned up, here's what he knew, these things will not be able to carry the people of God through. So he's going to do something that was painful in the life of Israel. Verse 4 He, Hezekiah, and you're going to read this and go, I have no idea what this means. Hang with me, okay? Incredibly practical to our lives. Verse 4 says, He, Hezekiah, removed the high places. He broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. He, He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made way back hundreds of years earlier, that bronze pole that Moses had been told by God to raise up as a picture of God's faithfulness. They had begun to worship that pole. Hezekiah goes in and he removes all that stuff for until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to this serpent on a pole. Here's what Hezekiah does. Now watch this. He painfully goes in and as the Lord leads them, watch, he knocks out the props underneath the people of these unreliable things they were trusting in. Now watch this. High places. What what is that? In these days, there was the temple that was kind of the central place of worship. It was the place of instruction. It was the place to grow and get a clear picture of God. The people, against the Word of God, had begun to erect all these little personal places of worship around the city. Now, nothing wrong with having a personal place of worship. The problem in that day was when you were off on your own doing your own thing. Watch this. You begin to worship a God of your own mind and of your own creation and not the true God. Hezekiah knew that. He said, no, at this season of where we are, we want to be here where you're getting clear direction of who God is as he reveals himself through his prophets. He reveals himself through the temple as God had said that. Don't go off and do your own thing because watch this. Here's the practical application. The God of your own creation will not be able to sustain you when the storms of life come. Can't do it well, I kind of think God works like this, and I kind of think, you know, God helps those who help themselves. That's not even in Scripture. And sometimes we tend to, we get off on our own, we form a concept of God in our minds that's not the God of the Bible who's revealed Himself. Hezekiah says we're getting rid of those high places because, what's this, I love you that much. And then he says he tore down the Asherah. What in the world is that? The Asherah was something they'd learned from the Canaanites, it was a place of worship that they had learned this concept of God from the world. So their understanding of God and how God worked and how God worked in their life was something they'd gotten from the Canaanites. And Hezekiah said, No! And he kicked that prop out from under him. And then they had this bronze serpent, which was really crazy. I mean, all these people watched this thing. This is 600 years old of this bronze serpent on a pole. Why in the world would you worship a snake? God help us. Anyway, so he says, no, you're looking at this object, this symbol that God used 600 years ago. And they had fallen in the trap of trusting in this dead religion, this symbol, this method, this tool. Hezekiah said, nope, take that away too. Now, you ready? Here's the application to you and me. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ at all, if you've been walking with Him very long, you know there are times in our lives that God loves us so much He will knock the props out of our lives that we are trusting in. Why? Because they're not reliable. Right? Right? And when it's happening, we are angry and we are mad at God. But here's what God is saying. If you're trusting in that, for example, relationship that you think is going to sustain you and you, a college student, are looking at that young man and you think in him you're going to find your identity and instead of a relationship with the Lord Jesus, give it a few years, he will not be a reliable Savior. (laughs) Only one. And God loves us enough at times to purge our lives of these things that we start to cling to. That's what God is doing in the nation of Israel through Hezekiah. I imagine there were times that Hezekiah was not very popular. Listen. But Hezekiah is a leader of God's people. And I want you to hear this. He yearns for God's people to fully trust in God and God alone because it is there that we prosper. It's there that we thrive. It's there as a church that we're fruitful, that we're not chasing things that are unreliable. Our our heart is fixed on the one true God and our hope is in Him and Him alone. Our hearts naturally tend to drift towards substitutes. That's my heart and that's your heart. And sometimes we need to be willing to pray. Here's a hard prayer. Lord, Lord, if there are things in my life that are unreliable substitutes for you that I'm placing my hope in, Lord, if you have to, just take them out of the way. It's hard, isn't it? Listen. God, watch this. God knows what's coming. You say, what's coming? Let me quickly show you here, very quickly. Verse 5, the Bible talks about Hezekiah. It says he trusted in the Lord. God says Hezekiah trusted in the Lord so that after him there was none like him among the kings of Judah. Verse 6, he clung to the Lord. The word cling is a powerful word picture. It's like holding on to a life raft in the middle of the ocean. It's clinging to this sole hope that's going to sustain me. He clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following Him but kept His commandments and the Lord had commanded through Moses. Listen, let me give you a quick application here. The word cling means to keep close, to draw near, to pursue. It's the same word that's used in Genesis of a marital relationship. Hezekiah pursued diligently and passionately his relationship with God. Listen, he didn't want it to drift. He didn't want his heart to fix on other things. So he clung to the Lord. Here's a life application for you. Number one, we cling to to what we ultimately trust for our security, safety, and identity. Whatever you are clinging to in your life, whatever you are pursuing above all things, it is that thing or that person that you're ultimately trusting for your security and your identity in life. I had a word picture of this in mind this week as I was... You know, our, our personal pursuit of our dynamic relationship with Jesus, all of us fall into seasons that our heart tends to drift, right? You say, well, I'm kind of drifting, and I'm letting the Lord kind of drift, and I'm not as passionate in His Word, and I'm not as passionate before Him in prayer and calling out to Him. I'm not as passionate about being with His people. If You fill in the blank there, whatever it is. And i got a word picture about that this week. I, I kind of, as a dad, I've kept up, maybe you've kept up with it, with what's going on with those two 14-year-old boys in Florida that drifted out to sea and nobody's been able to find them. The Coast Guard's even calling off their search, but I got a picture of those boys. They're somewhere possibly out floating in the Atlantic Ocean at night and it's dark, and I got this mental picture, this idea of clinging. If they had a life preserver or if they had some kind of life wrath, those boys out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, now watch this, nobody has to go to them and say, hey, You better cling to that life raft. They are clinging to that life raft with everything in them. Watch this. With all their heart because in their hearts they realize that life preserver is their only hope for security and safety and preservation. Our pursuit of God is reveals our heart if we really see him as our ultimate object of our hope and trust and confidence how we pursue him reveals that because we're just like those boys floating out in the ocean he's our ultimate joy he's our ultimate sustainer he's our ultimate life giver and our pursuit or lack of reveals that second kings 18 very quickly the lord was with hezekiah he was with him wherever he went and he prospered. 2 Kings 18 7. Listen to this very serious. He says, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and didn't serve him. So Hezekiah's dad had caved in to the king of Assyria and gave over to him and said, We give you whatever you want. We 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 were defeated, we we're beaten, we we're we we're giving up to you. Hezekiah said, We're not gonna do that. I'm not gonna give in to the enemies of God because I'm gonna trust God to deliver. Well, guess what? The king of Assyria didn't like that very much. So he responds in chapter, 13, or chapter 18, verse 13, he says, Now in the 14th year of Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. Hezekiah, or Sennacherib of Assyria says, Okay, I'm going to show Hezekiah. He wants to rebel against me, I'm going to wipe him off the face of the earth. So he sends 180,000 troops and they build siege walls around Jerusalem. And in those days, the way they fought battles, they were going to starve the people out. As long as it took, they will put this blockade around the city and they'll starve the people out. And the ones that get out, they'll murder brutally. I mean, it's a horrid scene of this king of Assyria saying, I'm going to crush you into dust, Hezekiah, for your rebellion against me. Verse 17, then the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rapsaris and Rapshikah with a large army to Jerusalem. That's his commanders. Now, here's what's going on. What happens here in the city of Jerusalem is a graphic picture of what happens on a regular basis in your life and my life. There's a huge threat. There's a source of great suffering. There's a source of great distress now surrounding the city of Jerusalem. This commander of the king of Assyria, here's what he does all day. He begins screaming to the people of Israel or the people of Judah and Jerusalem, telling them why the Lord's really not going to deliver them. He says, you can't trust Hezekiah. You can't trust the Lord, verse 19. Then Rabshakeh, this commander says, thus says the great king of Assyria, what is this confidence you have? You say, but there are only empty words. I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom do you rely that you've rebelled against me? What is this source of confidence you have? Keep reading, verse 29. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you from my hand, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord. On and on and on. So day in and day out, this commander's on the wall. He's shouting to the people. Watch this. Filling their heads filling their ears with lies of why they should not place their confidence in the Lord, their God. Does that have any application to your daily life and my daily life? It sure does. Ready? Here's life application number two for you. Let me give you this. The loud voices of our culture are aggressively working to erode our confidence in the Lord, our God. Is that true? you're a parent you know that there's not many voices out there calling us to trust and have confidence in the lord god is our true place of security and trust and identity the spirit of god within you the word of god the people of god are about it every other voice of our culture is screaming to you in your ears you can't fully trust in the lord you know what's best try this other route this way is better it's just like this commander standing on the wall of jerusalem and saying hey trust in the Lord it's not going to go well for you so what happens this continues for several days chapter 19 go ahead and flip there let me finish the story here and then we're going to make some application to your life this morning chapter 19 verse 1 when Hezekiah the king heard it he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and entered the house of the Lord then he sent Eliakim, who was over the house of the scribe. The elders and the priests covered with a sackcloth. Now watch this. He sends them to Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos. Now stop right there. Is that the same Isaiah as Isaiah, the book of the Bible? Yeah, Isaiah was the prophet of that day. Hezekiah couldn't exactly take his iPhone out and scroll down to his Bible app and say, man, I've got to hear from God. Here's what, I, here's what Hezekiah is saying. Translate this for you. In this current distress, in this situation that I'm facing... I have got to hear from God. He says, go to Isaiah, the prophet who speaks for God, and see what God has to say in this situation. Let me make an application to your life and my life. Without a regular diet of hearing from God, it is impossible to truly, fully trust God with all your heart. can't do it. We don't generate trust. We don't get in a corner and we say, well, I'm going to work up some trust. And I'm going to try to make myself get to the place where I'm trust. Over time in a relationship with a God who is making Himself known, you learn His character. You learn the reliability of His ways. And you know when you lose that job or when that son is sick or ill or when things are falling apart, I can trust fall back into the trustworthy character of God. Watch this. Because I know Him. And I can trust Him. Why have we as a church taken the entire year to walk through the whole of the Bible? I know so we can get a pen. I read the Bible. No! So you can know the God of this book because only in moments of those when God speaks will you be able to be carried through the fires, and the trials, and the storms of life just like Judah is getting ready to face. See that? So he says, Isaiah, what? I'm going to hear from God. Verse 6, Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servant of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me. There is a ton in that verse that we don't have time to look at. God says, hey, Hezekiah, listen. Don't be afraid. The natural response here is absolute fear. There's an army at my gate that wants to kill me and brutalize my entire city. There's reasons to be afraid. God says, hey, hey, don't be afraid. Watch this. I love this. Verse 6, he said, with which the servants of the king of Assyria has blas- have blasphemed me. God says, hey, Hezekiah, they're speaking to you and they're speaking to your people, but let me know who this battle is against. They are taking me on. And listen, Hezekiah, I've got it. It's my battle. is that good? He goes on, he says, Behold, I will put a spirit in him that he will hear a rumor and he will return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Hezekiah, I've got this thing covered. God has spoken. Now in this moment, is Hezekiah going to trust God to do what God said he would do? Chapter 19, verse 10. Evidently, between the time Hezekiah gets word back to Sennacherib and to his commander and says, no deal, man. I'm not giving in. You guys can do whatever you want. I'm not working out a covenant. I'm not working out a contract for you. I'm going to trust in the Lord my God to do what he says he will do. So this commander of the army returns back to the king of Assyria and says, hey, well, Hezekiah, he's not budging. He He's not giving in. He, he's going to continue to keep the walls up, and the people are not going to surrender. I guess we're just going to have to continue with this siege. And the king of Assyria, he's, he's, he's infuriated. So he does something. He takes out his scroll or whatever, and he gets a stylus, and he starts writing this letter to Hezekiah. And he said, I want you to get this message to Hezekiah. And he transports and sends this letter back to Hezekiah. And we read the letter in 2 Kings 19.10 very quickly. He says, do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you. Do not listen to God when he says Jerusalem will, be not, will not be given into the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the king of Assyria has done to all the lands. I destroy these nations completely so that you are going to be spared. Did the, the gods of those nations which my fathers destroyed delivered you? Hey, Hezekiah, you don't stand a chance. Hezekiah, look at all the other nations that we've destroyed. Have they stood a chance? No. And you think we're not going to come in and rip your head off and tear your people apart and destroy your city? You don't stand a chance. And Hezekiah gets this letter. Any of you know what a crisis of belief is? Us a belief of belief for those situations in your life, what's this where you have to determine do I really believe what I say I believe about this God? And am I willing to make decisions that direct my life based on trust and confidence in Him or based on fear and my own understanding? Every single one of you will be faced with those decisions on a daily basis. Am I making decisions that shape the direction of my life out of trust and confidence in Him or am I making out of my best understanding and out of fear? That's where Hezekiah is. Now look what he does. Awesome. Chapter nineteen, verse fourteen. Hezekiah receives the letter. Now, you don't. This verse is not going to be on the screen, so just listen. It says, "Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and he read it." Can you imagine? I'm going to rip your head off, Hezekiah. You don't stand a chance. Your whole, you're going to be killed. This one, Hezekiah does. He read it and he went up to the house of the Lord. Hezekiah's first response is what he's modeled before his people. Now, for fourteen years, in this moment, I'm going to watch this cling to the lord every king before him has not done that they have gone and sought an alliance with another nation and said you guys have got to help us you guys have got to help us his dad before him had not given him a very good model ahaz his dad before him had given in to sennacherib and the other kings of assyria that wasn't a good model hezekiah alone says no i'm going to cling To the Lord, my God. And he went up, verse 14, to the house of the Lord. And I love this. He takes this letter, watch, and he spreads this letter out before the Lord. It's almost like an act of worship. This this letter represents everything he fears. This letter represents every distress. It's what he fears most. Lord, can I really trust you with this, that you're going to do what you said you could do? And as an act of trust, he pushes this letter out and says, Lord, watch giving it to you it's your fight hezekiah went on verse 15 i encourage you to read this on your own we're not going to take time to read this it's one of those prayers of hezekiah that when you find yourself in a moment of distress and everything around you has caused you to doubt god and your confidence in god is eroding here's hezekiah and he prays he says oh lord god verse 15 you are enthroned above the cherubim that's a picture that god had revealed about himself translation says this hey god The world around me is coming apart, but you are still firmly seated on your throne. It goes on, verse 15, he says, All the kingdoms of the earth you have made, heaven and earth. God, this great threat to me, Sennacherib and Assyria, you made them. You are Lord even over my enemies. You are Lord over those things in my life that caused me the most distress. You're Lord. It goes on, Lord, incline your ear. Hear, open your eyes. Verse 19, O oh Lord God, deliver us from the hand of this enemy. Verse 20, then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah and said, Thus says the Lord of God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, I have heard you. Isn't that encouraging? Don't sometimes we just need to know God as if He were to say, Hey, I hear you. Continues on, verse 32. Therefore, the Lord God said concerning the king of Assyria, listen, Hezekiah, he will not come to this city. He will not even shoot an arrow there. He will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not come into this city. And I love this. Declares the Lord, for I will defend this city and save it for my own namesake and for the sake of my servant David. Hey, I'm going to fight for you that apply to my life and your life? sure does. Here's your third application, final application point is this. Trust in the reliable character and unwavering promises of God, listen, is sufficient to carry us through the trials and the fires and the stresses of life. God and His Word and His character is a reliable object on which to place your trust. And it is a daily struggle as the people of God to walk with God and listen to God and to push back the voices that are eroding our confidence and say, Lord, I am going to trust totally in You. So how's it turn out? Well, 2 Kings 19, verse 35. I love this passage very quickly and then we're done. It says this, then it happened. That night... All the army of Assyria camped around the city of Jerusalem. It says this, That night the angel of the Lord, that's the angel of Jehovah, often in the Old Testament is a pre-incarnation or a prefiguring of the second person of the Trinity. There's a lot of theology, you can look that up. It says this, the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of Assyrians. One angel. And when the men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. <laughs> That's kind of funny. They got up, they looked around. Hey, we're ready to fight. We've got a problem. They're all dead. Not a lot of fighting's going to go on with 185,000 dead soldiers. What was the point? God fought for them. And God was a reliable object of their trust. And God intervened in a way that was not according to their own understanding. Watch this. Not a God of their own making. Not the God of the world around us. God acted consistent with His character and His nature. Why? Will God always act like that in our lives and do that? Not necessarily. But God will always do what He said He would do. Always. Always. So. So. How does this apply to my life and your life? I'm going to ask our team to come on up and just begin to play a little bit softly behind us. And I want want us even here this morning before we leave to put this into practice and application in our lives. I have absolutely no idea where many of you are in this room right now, but I have the question that we had from the beginning. Will what you are currently trusting in be able to carry you through the fires and the storms and the trials of life? Hezekiah is a great example for us here. Hezekiah took this letter. Now watch this. This letter that symbolized what he feared most. I mean, those threats that came from King Sennacherib of what he was going to do to Hezekiah and his people. So this letter, when he held it in his hands, pictured what he feared most. It pictured the source of his greatest fear. Watch. It, was a, it, it pictured what he had the hardest time trusting God with now when I say that here this morning something comes to your mind something in your life right now that is that there's something in your life right now that you have the hardest time trusting God with and the spirit of God right now you're thinking about that maybe it's a relationship maybe it's a financial situation maybe it's a struggle or something in the past I have no idea here's what I want you to do ready in front of you, everyone, is a little sheet of paper that says notes on it. It's where you can write sermon notes. Maybe you already have that out. Maybe you already have a notebook. I want everybody to have something to write on. Pull that out. Everybody's going to do it. It's not hokey or weird. Just pull it out for a second and hold it there in front of you. Just grab a little notepad, a little piece of paper. Pull that out. And this is you and the Lord, okay? Just you and the Lord. In a moment of worship, in a moment of trying to live out what the Bible pictures here for us, I want you to take a pen, just you and the Lord, and whatever that is in your life. You you and God know right now, don't conjure something up. Nothing comes to mind. That's okay. But as the Lord puts this on your mind, take that pen. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write it on that piece of paper, whatever it is. Whatever it is, whatever they are, whatever, however you want it. What is that thing that you have the... The hardest time trusting God with, or that thing that's causing you the most fear or the most distress. It's just like that letter Hezekiah received on that letter. Here's what I want you to do. Would you take just a second, kind of ponder through that. Worshipfully before the Lord, in just a moment, I'm not going to ask you to get up. I'm not going to ask you to do anything, but I'm going to ask you to symbolically take that, watch this, and lay it out before the Lord. I don't know what that means for you. Maybe they're in your seat. Maybe in the floor. Maybe you put it on your feet. Maybe you put it back in your Bible. Whatever that is for you. You are symbolically saying, Lord, here's that thing that I'm having the hardest time trusting you with. Lord, this morning, it's your fight. Watch this. I'm giving it to you. Just like Hezekiah. And in a moment, say, Lord, give me trust. Fill my heart based on who you are to trust you with this thing. And Lord, I trust you. It's your fight. You take it. You own it. So in a moment of prayer, kind of worshipful, you kind of bow your heads there. This is kind of one of those holy moments just as you respond. And in just a second or two, our team is going to sing over us. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment, but you take a minute. Just have a moment of worship, of trust, tangible trust in the Lord your God there in your seat before our team leads us.